Well, good evening. That's a beautiful way of singing that song. Really appreciate that so much. Get your Bibles. Turn with us to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We'll be started there in just a moment. We are delighted to have our guests with us this evening and each of us as we've come back to study some things from the Word of God. As we mentioned this morning, uh, Brother Jason did part one of a two-part series about marriage. He talked about the foundation or the fundamental aspects of a marriage. Marriage built upon Jesus Christ. And so this evening, I want to kind of take it to another level and talk about some more things and address things to the married people and to look at some things the Bible teaches along that line. Lots of things can be said along this subject. And we felt like, as we talked this past week, about so many weddings we've had here recently, so many getting married, that this is a topic that we just need to put some emphasis on. And so we just decided to do this one-two little punch today and hopefully be some things that will help you for this. So it was just days before the wedding. The young man and the young woman soon to get married were just as nervous and scared as they could be. And the young man went to his father and said, Dad, I got a problem. He go, well, what is it? He said, I've never told this to anybody, but my feet really stink. I mean, my feet really stink. And I'm afraid she won't want to be with me because my feet really stink. What should I do? And the father, as the father does, all about that for a minute, he says, here's what you're going to do. He said, before you go to bed, you're going to take a shower and then go put a clean pair of socks. Don't ever take off your socks. I can do that. I can do that. But at the same time, the young bride-to-be was talking to her mama. And I, too, have a problem. Mine is my breath, morning breath. It just knocks the paint off the wall. And the mother said, well, everybody's got morning breath. She goes, not like mine. And so you know, the, the mother said, this is what you do. When you first wake up, before you speak, before you give him a kiss, you hop out of bed, brush your teeth, then you come back to bed. I can do that. And so the young couple were married, and they're about within the first week or so of their marriage. And in the early morning, the young man woke up and realized his sock came off. And to his horror, what's going to happen? So he's thrashing through the covers trying to get the sock, and she wakes up. Without thinking, she speaks. She says, what are you doing? And he smells her breath and said, I think you swallowed my sock. <laughs> well, you know, marriage... You know, there's a big difference between a wedding and a marriage. And a lot of times we put a lot of emphasis upon the wedding, but we forget the marriage that needs to follow. And so tonight we're going to kind of focus on some things on that. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 11, and, or excuse me, chapter 13, verse 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God will judge. That, that little phrase, held in honor honor. My father served in World War II. He was overseas with the Marines. Growing up as a kid, we always flew the flag at every holiday. And sometimes it was my job to take the flag up, take the flag down. And if the flag ever just, just the corner of it touched the ground, you got a lecture from my dad. Because the flag never touches the ground. It's an honorable thing. And so what we need to see as we begin this lesson, how God wants his people to look upon marriage. It is something that he created, and it is honorable. Our society doesn't see it that way. Our society just sees marriage as something that, that you get a deal until it becomes an ordeal, and then you get a better deal. 
And that's how a lot of people look at it in that way. And, and there's really a flippant attitude about the seriousness of marriage. As Jason said today, what God says in this matter really matters. And so we think about this lifelong commitment that God wants us to see in this regard. Now, here are the sad statistics. There's one divorce every 36 seconds. So in the course of this sermon, there's going to be a lot of divorces as you think about that. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. 60% of all second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. The most common age for divorce is 30. Most divorces occur in years 1 and 2 and 5 through 8. Again, it just emphasizes that's the attitude that our society has upon this. And so in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 7, on our Sunday morning, we're going through 1 Corinthians. And in chapter 7, as the apostle is addressing the subject of marriage among Christians, he would say in verse 8, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them to remain even as I am. Then in verse 10, but to the married. Well, that's where we're getting our title from today. But to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. The word leave there is not the American concept of separation. It's not a legal separation. That was unknown in the first century world. The word there is the same word as divorce. God is laying down a principle here through the apostle that God intends marriage to be a lifelong commitment. And that we need to see it that way. Over in the book of Matthew, in chapter 19, Matthew chapter 19, again, just noticing a couple verses here to help us understand this. Matthew chapter 19, and in verse 3, some of the Pharisees came to Jesus testing him, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now, they really weren't interested in that question. What they were interested in is proving that you're not the Messiah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put you right against the law of Moses. And whatever you say, you're probably going to say the wrong answer, and that proves you're not the Messiah. And so Jesus answered them in verse 4, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Remember a recent lesson about identity. God didn't make you just asexual. God didn't say you're this way or that way determined for yourself. God made them male and female. And then it says in verse 5, For this reason man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. That's the, you, you want to know, can I get a divorce for any reason? Can I get a divorce because she can't cook? Can I get divorced because I'm tired of her? Can I get divorced because I found someone prettier? Can I get divorced just because I want to get out of this deal? The answer was no. No. And so, that kind of put them in a dizzy. Because that wasn't the way Jesus was supposed to answer, they thought. And so they said in verse 7, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Notice the play on words between verse 7 and verse 8. Verse 8, he said, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted. There's a big difference from commanding and permitting. Telling you you have to and allowing it. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it's not been this way. I say to you, whoever divorces a wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. There's the only reason God will allow here. Notice verse 10. 
The disciples said to him, if the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to get married. This is tough stuff. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted us to see as we regard that concept and what's involved with that. And so this evening, what we want to focus upon, as we think about the idea of marriage, we, we see there's so many thoughts we could bring up. Again, the idea of a lot of people's expectations and the reality of what marriage is often like. Again, we see the concept that there are many things that go bad in marriage, but it doesn't happen in an instant. It's like a gradual leak leak of air out of your tire or something else. It just happens over time. And sometimes what happens is we begin taking each other for granted. And what happens is the blessings do not last as God wants them to. And some things just don't work as God wants them to be. And so this evening, what I want to talk about, I want to talk about a very unique aspect of marriage. So much we can talk about. Talk about communication, talk about finances. We can talk about the in-laws, the outlaws, lots of things to be talked about in marriage. A lot of times when we have sermons on marriage, it's about something that's not right, and we need to get it right. Tonight, I'm going to talk about when a Christian marries a Christian. Two disciples, two people whose hearts are focused on Jesus, two people who understand divorce isn't an option here because we follow Jesus, two people who understand the idea that Christ is the head of this home. Two people who understand that selfishness doesn't exist. That's not the basis of a marriage. Two people who understand it's not about my happiness or what I get out of this relationship, but rather how can we honor God through this relationship. What does it look like when two Christians focused upon Jesus get married? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. A lot more things we could talk about, but we're going to focus on this. Number one, through the years, love deepens. Love deepens. And that's so important. I like the story of, it's called The History of a Cold in Seven Years of Marriage. First year, the woman started sniffling, and the husband said, Oh dear, I think you're getting a cold. I'm going to rush you to the hospital right now. The second year, she started coughing. He says, I'm going to take you to urgent care right now. I don't like the sound of that. Third year, she started coughing. He said, maybe you better lie down, a little rest. I'm going to get you some food. Fourth year, he said, let's be sensible. After you take care of the kids, do the dishes and take care of the floor, you better lie down. The fifth year, why don't you take a couple aspirins? The sixth year, you better just gargle and quit barking like a dog. And the seventh year, for Pete's sake, if you keep coughing, I'm going to get pneumonia. Well, what happens is we start taking each other for granted. Love deepens. I'm going to give you three illustrations of this. We begin with a creek. We all know what a little creek looks like. We talk about a river. And we talk about the ocean. Now, there's a lot of common things between those three things. They all have water in them. They all have a bank or beach or shoreline. They most often all have fish in there some, to some degree. But there's a big difference between a creek, a river, and an ocean. I have jumped creeks before. I can't jump a river like on the screen there. There's no way you can jump an ocean. I have stood in the middle of a creek before. You stand in the middle of that river and you're in trouble. You stand in the middle of the ocean and you're a goner. What's the difference between the creek, the river, and the ocean? The width and the depth. And that's what takes place in marriage. That's what takes place in marriage as you've been married several, several years to a Christian to a Christian. The marriage becomes richer deeper and wider as God intended it to be. 
And that's just a wonderful concept that we need to see and we appreciate about that. Well, if you will, turn your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 31. We'll look at that in just a moment. And so the beauty of a person shifts from the outside to the inside. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter what a person looks like on the outside. Oh, it does. But the emphasis is less on the outside and more on the inside. More on the character. More on the heart. More on the way that God has intended this person to be. So back here in Proverbs 31... As the king's mother, verse 1, is laying out some instructions for the king, it says in verse 10, An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and she will have no lack of gain. She does, good, good, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax, and she works with her hands in delight. She's like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while still night, and she gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, and from her earnings she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Her senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand to the distaff, and her hands grasp the spindle. She, verse 20 says, she extends her hands to the poor. She stretches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Now, how much money did her daddy have? Don't know, do you? How tall was she? What color was her hair? Did she have a big nose? What did she own? Don't know any of those things, do we? Did she have a sweet voice? No. All that's external, isn't it? But what we're looking at is the heart of this person. She's thinking about other people. She's busy helping other people. She's taking care of her family. She has a heart that's trustworthy. She is someone that's doing all this. And what we're seeing is the qualities of the inside of a person. And when a Christian marries a Christian, disciples are together in Jesus, what we're seeing is this love deepens. And what we see is the heart, the kindness, the compassion, the goodness. What we see is this becomes the valuable aspects of a marriage. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is that a person changes for the better. Again, we're talking about this concept of a Christian marrying a Christian, two disciples. Now, when I first started preaching, I had problems with this. I'd have somebody come up to me and say, well, you know, the person I married changed. And that really bothered me. And I used to think, well, you didn't date long enough. You should have known this. But I realized through the years, we all change. That's called growth. And as we grow, we change. The writer Tim Keller, who just recently passed away, wrote this. He says, my wife has lived with five different men since we were married. Each of the five has been me. We change. 
we grow, we mature, and as we walk with Jesus, these are brought about. And so there's a shift in focus of my happiness to the happiness of others. And again, we notice this quality in the New Testament. Turn with me now to the book of Romans, if you will. Romans chapter 16. And we find, again, this powerful couple working for the Lord, working for the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 16, it says in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. And greet the church that's in their house. You see, here's a couple that's working together for the kingdom. And what we're seeing is this shift. Rather than being bitter, they become better. Rather than being a curse, they become a blessing. Rather than being an example to avoid, they're an example to imitate. Rather than being focused on self, they're focused upon the Lord. Now, if you're taking notes on your outline, make that little triangle. We've, we've all heard that little story of the little triangle before. I was going to put this up on screen. I forgot to do that. You know the little triangle. You hear about this a lot in marriage. Man on one side, woman on the other side. God's at the top. Takes all three. Everybody wants the preacher in the Bible at the marriage ceremony, but once the ceremony is over, sometimes we just throw that Bible somewhere else. We need to keep it there. But you know something about the triangle? This is a, a principle of geometry. As one side gets closer to the top and the other side gets closer to the top, the two sides get closer to each other. You see that? And so as you get closer to the Lord and your mate gets closer to the Lord, guess what? You're pulling each other closer to each other. But as one gets farther from the Lord and the other gets farther from the top, you're getting farther from each other. And so what we see with this concept is a person changes. And then the third aspect we notice is grace abounds. Grace abounds. Early in a relationship, there are several things that can bother you and irritate you. Early, early in our marriage, Debbie was out somewhere. We had had some people over. There was a stack of dishes a mile high. We did not have a dish washer at the time. I said, I'm going to do all the dishes for her. She's just going to love me to death. This is the greatest thing in the world. So I did all the dishes. She came home, and she said, you did them wrong. I said, no, I put the dirty dish in the soapy water and I rinsed it off and here it is. That's not wrong. She goes, you always do the forks and the spoons last. I said, I didn't see that. Where's that written? She goes, everybody knows that. I didn't know that. You always do the cups first. Well, where's that written? And so what I thought was going to be a great thing just kind of backfired in my face just a little bit. But you learn some things, and you learn grace, and you learn forgiveness, and you learn how to teach each other things, and to do things the way God wants you to do in the right way. And so early in the marriage, you, you dig in your heels. You're worried about your territory, your turf, but after a while, it's less complaining and more thankfulness. After a while, it's less about self and more about the other. After a while, it's about understanding patience and growth. Now, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. This passage in Colossians 3 deals with fellowship. But I want you to read this through the lens of marriage. As we read this, I want you to think about marriage and how these verses apply to marriage. Colossians chapter 3, beginning verse 5. It says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which mounts to idolatry. It's because of these things the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you once walked, and you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Now plug that into your marriage right there. Do not lie to one another, verse 9. 
since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and put on a new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Think about that in marriage. Forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ ruin your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. Think about that in the marriage. Teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What do you see in a marriage between two disciples is you see that love deepens. You see a person changes for the better, and you see that grace abounds. Now, as we wrap this up, let's just talk about three ways this works. How does this work? And how do we do all this? Number one, you carry the terms of peace with you. As you both walk the same direction, follow the same Lord, there's some things that come with this. Turn your Bibles now to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. And let's notice some language here of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5. You carry the terms of peace in your pocket. Matthew chapter 5. Beginning here with verse 21. Matthew 5, verse 21. You've heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. Whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're able to be with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judges, the judges to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Notice two expressions here. First of all, be first to be reconciled. Be first. There's a radio station Kansas City used to listen to and they had callers call in one time with their definition of forever what is forever like one person called in going through school took forever when somebody else named some intersection and when that light turned red it took forever for it to turn green one lady called in and said waiting for my husband to apologize forever be first, it says, and then make friends quickly. Again, apply that to the marriage. Apply that to the concept here. You carry the terms of peace. One of our songs, angry words. Oh, let them never from your tongue unbridled slip. May the heart's best impulse ever check them ere they soil the lip. The third stanza says, angry words are lightly spoken. Bitterest thoughts are rashly stirred. Brightest links of life are broken by a single angry word. Now listen to this. A survey was conducted several years ago of 200 marriages. 100 said that they had a great marriage. The other 100 had already contacted the lawyer. They're going to end the marriage. And what they found out in those 200 marriages, 
is that they had the same disagreements, the same problems. And what it was is, how do you handle those problems? The issue is not getting away from problems. The issue is not, well, you know, we had this problem and that just wrecked our marriage. This couple over here had the same problem, but it, their marriage didn't wreck. The issue is our hearts and what are we deciding? Don't let the problems in life become the problem in your marriage. And to do that is to understand the role that we are all sinners and how can sinners live together. Number one, the answer is unconditional love just as God loves us. This is a choice and not a feeling. This is not based upon what the other person is doing. That's why God describes that love that way. Secondly, as we think about our lesson, what do you do is open your eyes to the blessings God has given you. If you will, turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you will. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I want you to look at a passage there. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes 9, 9. It says, enjoy life with a woman with whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and your toil in which you have labored under the sun. Enjoy life with the woman God has given you. Count your blessings. And rather than fighting, what you do is you work together. And again, when you see two disciples who have married, they understand this concept. And they understand how important this is. Uh, uh, there was a comedian years ago by the name of Henry Youngman. And he said, we married for better or for worse. I couldn't have done any better and she couldn't have done any worse. Well, sometimes that's how it may be. But, but it's realizing how valuable these things are. And then number three, as we think about this, be the help that God intended. Again, in the book of Ecclesiastes, go over to chapter 4 now. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. When God made Eve, she was called a help meet or a help mate for Adam. But it's both directions. We help each other. And Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 9, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Again, the blessings of being there together. And so we help each other get better. That's what you do. You're on the same team. You help each other. It's not the nagging as we read about in the book of Proverbs. It's the idea that I want you to be the best man you can be. I want you to be the best woman you can be. We're both disciples of Jesus. We're in this together. So we're going to help each other. And then we're going to help each other get to heaven. There's going to be days when you may not feel like going, but your mate says, come on, we're going. There may be days when you don't want anybody over, but they're saying, guess what? We're having people over. There may be days when you don't feel like doing something, but they're going to say, we need to do this. And what you're doing is you're helping each other get to heaven. And that's what a blessing is. Probably one of the greatest strengths we have beyond our fellowship is when we've married a disciple, someone who's committed to Jesus. I look in this congregation and see several of that, several examples of that. And how powerful you are as you work as a team and as you do these things. And these are blessings that God has. And then you help each other help other people. And again, that wonderful, wonderful concept of these things. So the Apostle Paul would say to the married, and, and what we need to see, those of us who have been married just a little bit, we need to be example to those who are starting out. 
A lot of us remember those difficult years when we first were married, and we didn't understand lots of things. But we're here we are today, and sometimes the, the, the road bumps seem huge, and it seems like we can never get beyond them, but you can, and you be an example of them. And, and what you're going to show is a lot of love, and you're going to show a lot of grace, and you're going to show a lot of forgiveness, and you're going to show a whole lot of Jesus, because that makes all the difference in the marriage. And so as we think about these two lessons together today, I hope it gives us a lot to think about. I hope us realize, for those of us that are Christians, what a blessing that is. That we can pray together. That we have a common understanding of what the scriptures say. If God blesses us with children, we have a concept of what parenting is like because we have the scriptures together. And when we face the trials of life, we stand upon what God says. The storms will be there, as Jason said this morning, but with a foundation in Jesus, we can weather those storms. And when the time comes of death, we understand. We understand what God says. We understand what God promises. And to go through life with someone like that, to be your best encourager, to be your best cheerleader, to be your best help, to remind you, you made a promise a long time ago to Jesus. Keep it. And to remind yourselves how important this is. This is one of the greatest assets to a congregation when there's multiple, multiple marriages that are married together, they're disciples of Jesus, and they illustrate the principles of the Bible. It is interesting to me in all creation, anything God could have chosen to illustrate Jesus in the church. He could have said, you know, it's like guys going off to war. It's like a band of brothers. But he didn't say that. He could say it's like Peter and John, it's like a partnership. It's like, it's like a work concept. He could say it's like a merger. It could be like two rivers coming together. It could be like the rising sun every day. Of all creation, what God picked out to show you what Jesus and the church is like is marriage. That's how important it is to God. And when we hold it in the high esteem, we will protect it, we'll pray for each other, We'll be there for each other, and we'll remind each other, one of my greatest blessings in my life has been the person I married and how they're helping me day by day to do what's right with the Lord. And that's what I wanted you to see. And for those of you who are just starting out, you just got a couple miles on you, and you're looking at all this, and you're thinking, wow, how can this be? We have folks in here who have been married 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, probably beyond that. You look at that and say, how did they do that? Didn't they have any troubles? Yes, they did. They had funerals. They had this. They had that. There was crisis over jobs, crisis over money. There's all kinds of things in life. Trips to the hospitals and surgeries and this, that. that that's life. But what has pulled them together is Jesus. And what's woven their heart together is Jesus. And with that, what a powerful, powerful relationship that becomes. And so that's our thoughts for us this evening. If you've got some questions we can help you with, we'd be glad to help you in any way we can. But we want you to see that this is something that is very serious to God. It needs to be very serious to us. It needs to be very serious as we think about how we interact with other people. And in our world today, it's not uncommon to run into people who have been married multiple times and they think nothing of it. But among God's people, what a difference that is. And we hope this helps. See, if you're not a Christian, that's where it starts. As Jason said this morning, you've got to have that foundation. Without that foundation, nothing's going to stand. That foundation is Jesus Christ. 
So if you need to be baptized, we'd be happy to do that right now for you. If you know some things that maybe you just need some work on, there's no shame in saying, hey, I need some help. Better say I need some help than let that boat go over the waterfall. Better say, you know what, we, we, we got some issues. Be honest. And go through things. Get down with the shepherds and let us help you as we work together. Anyway, we can help you. Look, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.